Hello everyone, welcome to the Modern Data Show, where we explore the world of the modern data stack with leading experts and innovators. Today, we are thrilled to have Gurnar Morling with us. Gurnar is the founder of Divisium, an open source project that provides a platform for change data capture to stream data changes from database into event streams. He is currently working with Decodable, a real-time stream processing platform based on Apache Fling and was previously a software engineer at Red Hat. Gunnar has extensive experience in database technologies, event-driven architectures, data integration and has spoken at numerous conferences and meetups on these topics. We are excited to have him join us today to share his experience and insights on change data capture and stream processing. So without further ado, let's welcome Gunnar to the show. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the nice intro. Really, this was... Um... Very nice. I'm very happy to be here. Can I correct one small detail? I'm not the original founder of Debezium. Credit where credit is due. It was actually Randall Hauk who created the project. I took it over after some time. I was the project lead, but I have not actually initially created it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that clarification. So, Gunnar, let's start with, you know, let's start with a very kind of, you know, personal question to you. You know, you have had an inspiring career so far. And the very first question <laughs> I have for you is, how did you first become interested in software engineering and databases and what motivated you to pursue a career in this field? Okay, wow, that's, that's, you're, you're starting with the tough questions right away, I like that. Um, so to be honest, I think it partly was even a coincidence. I, when I was going to school, I was interested in all kinds of things. At some point, I even was considering to become a journalist, for instance. And Actually, I'm very happy I did not become a journalist. Um, but yeah, then I learned either about computers. I always had an interest in programming. I, I started to program when I was still quite young. And then I thought, okay, you know, let me make a career out of it. Um, but then it kind of one step happened after another, right? So I explored some area. I saw, okay, actually, I'm interested in the data space. Let me go a bit uh, there. And one thing led to another. It was not really like a super planned uh, trajectory, I would say. Right. Right. And, you know, after spending kind of good amount of years at Red Hat and working on the Division project, uh, you have recently moved to Decodable. Can you tell us a little bit more about Decodable and what inspired you to join that company? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Decodable is a startup in the data streaming space. So essentially what they do, or well, what we do is managed stream processing based on Apache Flink. So this means it ingests uh, real-time data streams, let's say from Kafka or something like Apache Pulsar or Kinesis processes them, and then puts the data into other systems. So it allows you to do real-time data integration with all kinds of connectors using um, streaming queries. So you can uh, filter your data, you can map your data, aggregate it, group it, process it in time windows, and so on as it arrives. So it's not batch-driven. You don't have to go to your data and pull for your latest data. It all happens in a push-based manner on, in uh, real-time. So that's what Decodable does in a nutshell. It's based, by the way, on Apache Flink. Um, now, why I was curious about it is, well, I was uh, working on Debezium, as you mentioned, for, for quite some time. And after a while, um, I, well, I realized, okay, Debezium and change data capture, and, and I guess we will touch on it later on in more depth. This is really a part of a data pipeline. This concerns itself with the question, how do we take data in real time out of a database into a, a data streaming platform like Kafka? And I was curious, okay, let me, I would like to explore the entire space. So I would like to explore how can we build cohesive pipelines from source to sync without having to integrate, like, you know, not uh, quite fitting parts. How can we make this like one unique uh, unified experience? I was curious um, about this processing part, of course, because I saw in the Debezium community the need for that. It came up all the time. So people had their change data capture streams 
maybe in, in Kafka, now they wanted to do stream processing. And I was again curious, okay, how can we use Flink for this? How can we make a nice user experience based out of that? All this kind of stuff. So I was um, interested in this in the space um, and I just felt, okay, this is something I would like to dive into in more depth. And then also to be totally honest, I had been working always in large companies until this point. So Red Hat, when I left, it was like 21K employees, I believe. Um, I had been working at even larger corporations before and I really felt, okay, I would like to have this small team, this small uh, startup experience, like, you know, everyone on deck, everyone pulling into one direction, um, everybody is super energetic and that's what I wanted to explore. Um, and well, then I learned the opportunity to join Decodable and I felt, okay, this is really what allows me to do this. It allows me to go into this small space, hopefully make an impact in a small team. And that's why I'm here. And so far, I've been very, very happy. Right. And uh, what about stream processing uh, makes it tough that captured or piqued your interest as an engineer? What makes stream processing even hard thing? Why isn't... Uh, are still a solved problem? What, what makes it tough? Right. I mean, uh, so I think at the core, there is the stateful nature which makes this hard. So let's say you have two data streams um, and you would like to somehow correlate them. Now, this means um, you need to reason about those data streams in terms of um, some sort of time windows. And uh, the question is, how do you uh, demarcate those time windows? How do you identify uh, which data belongs to together? How do you go about data which arrives late, right? So this very happen, this open, happens very often. Um, you have some sort of uh, time window-based processing and you really want to be sure you only can close or you only close a specific time window once you have all the data. And now what happens if maybe one hour later you still have an item for an earlier time window which you already assumed to be fully processed? So it's those kind of things. Um, then, well, there is not really transactional semantics around it. In particular, when people come from a context of relational databases, they tend to think uh, very strongly in terms of transactions. And I'm, maybe I'm doing some sort of data changes, like I persist a purchase order. This reflects in changes in multiple tables in the relational database. And only once this transaction has been committed, all those changes become visible to other transactions. Whereas with real-time stream processing, you don't really have the notion of a transaction. I mean, at least not in commonly used systems, I would say. Um, which means um, establishing this, trans this kind of transactional uh, boundaries, that's actually a, a, you know, kind of an unsolved issue, I, I would say. And I, I'm looking forward to explore that space and hopefully we can provide some solutions there. Yeah, and uh, how does stream processing, like if you were to explain it to a very kind of a budding engineer in terms of, how does stream processing even work? Like, how is it different from a database? Uh, in a sense, you know, uh, I have had an opportunity to work with, you know, uh, stream processing almost a decade ba back when I was working with uh, this tool called Esper CEP. I'm not sure if oh, you've yeah, heard of right. it. So, wow. okay. so that, was, that was my first exposure to, you know, this complex stream processing data, right? How does it even work? Like, uh, you know, let's talk from a fundamental perspective. So you have the stream of data that's coming in. Mm -hmm. And let's say, you know, the the the, the most uh, beautiful definition of stream processing that I've ever kind of came across in my life is in a traditional database, you have a data on which you run a query and on stream processing, you have a query on which you run the data actually, right? How does that work? 
I mean, the fundamental difference is uh, in terms of how this interaction, the direction of this interaction, right? In a relational database setting or in any kind of classic database setting, could also be like MongoDB or whatever, um, this interaction is uh, pull-based, right? So this means you have a query. If you want to have new results, you need to rerun uh, this query and it will give you a fixed result set, which is valid at this point in time. And now in regards how this query actually is um, executed, well, usually it runs in a pull-based way from the top to the bottom. So let's say you do something like select something from uh, something, right? Just to, to give you a very basic example. We would first go to this uh, select clause. We would identify, okay, that's the stuff we want to select. And then we would go to this uh, from clause and we would fetch some, um, maybe even one item from that fetch clause. And maybe then in a loop, we would process more and more until our query is complete. So maybe we have like a limit clause where we would only fetch as many results as we need uh, uh, to have to, to satisfy this limit. Otherwise, we would do it until we have fetched all the results. Whereas exactly as you say, for a stream processing system, it's the other way around. In those kinds of systems, uh, query evaluation happens in a push-based way. So this means in this simple example, we would start at the bottom. So we would essentially, when there's a new row, which um, satisfies this particular from clause, this would then push upwards to the select clause. The select clause would uh, project whatever data it needs and push it to consumers. So it is, as you say, it's like a query you can subscribe to and you will be notified whenever there's a new result coming. Right, so there would be a lot of state management internally, which would exactly, kind of manage exactly. the state of that query. Why talk 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 to us a little bit more about the state management? How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, so again, as you say, uh, those operators can be uh, stateful. So let's say uh, we want to do an aggregation, uh, like I don't know the the aggregated revenue of my purchase orders per category, in maybe by by day, something like that. So now this means. Um, if, we, if a new purchase order comes in, which would then, you know, sit at the very bottom of this query, we need to identify essentially which are those buckets in this grouping which needs uh, to be updated. So we need to keep all that information. Or let's say we do some sort of join. Um, well, then we also need to essentially keep the state uh, of, of this join so we can add more rows to it. Now, how it's implemented? Well, um, typically some sort of state store is used underneath those uh, systems. So let's say in case of Kafka streams and um, also in Flink, you could use, uh, or RocksDB commonly is used as a state store, which then, um, you know, allows to retrieve that state in, a, in, a, in an efficient way. Right, right. And, you know, Apache Flink has been, you know, out there for a while, right? And uh, you just mentioned like, you know, decodable, is platform that is built on the top of Apache Flink. So is that is that is decodable like a kind of a managed version of Apache Flink or is there something that uh, you know that that's a that's a common question that you often get right is this a managed service is it is it just Flink package for you know enterprise suit uh, applications or 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 is it different from that and if so how is it different? Yes. Um, so it is a managed Flink in a sense, but then also with a special twist to it. And the, to, to step uh, to take a step back there, in Apache Flink, you have essentially multiple ways uh, for how you can interact with Flink or how, how you can define your um, stream processing jobs with Flink. There is uh, programmatic APIs, which you could use with uh, Java or Scala. There's a Python API even. And then there's also Flink uh, SQL, which is a SQL layer based on top 
of Apache Flink. And actually, this is what we right now use in uh, Decodable. So the user experience in Decodable is fully based on Flink SQL. So this means you define your stream processing jobs in, in standard um, SQL. And then Decodable, the platform takes care of taking that uh, SQL definition and essentially, you know, deploy Flink jobs in a cluster um, based on that. But that's the part you don't need to care about. So you solely care about defining the logic of your query, you know, what are the kinds of data transformations, joins, grouping, and what uh, and whatever your use case requires. So that's what you think about. You connect it, of course, with your um, source and sync connectors. So you can take data from something like Kafka and write it into, I don't know, Snowflake, let's say, or Elasticsearch. Um, but then how this all is executed, why I think this happens underneath. Um, so in that sense, it's not a managed Flink service where you, you know, you would have like the Flink uh, admin UI uh, and you could use that. You interact with decodable via a Flink SQL. And do you also extend the Flink SQL in terms of like, you know, introducing some kind of, you know, different kind of, let's say, even processing like, you know, a new rolling time window function or something like that? Yes, right. So there's, there's a few specific additional um, UDFs, user-defined functions, which are provided there on top. Um, what we right now don't have is the ability for the user to provide their own custom UDFs. That's a requirement which comes up every now and then. We are exploring it, but it's not something which is there. Um, right now, you know, if a customer has a specific need uh, and we feel this makes sense for the user base at large, we would add such a UDF and then everybody can use it. Um, it's not something which you could do yourself. Um, but again, it's an area which is in exploration. Very interesting. And can you uh, can you provide some examples of like real-time application or use cases that de Decodable is su well-suited for? Like any interesting or amazing use cases that you have come across your customers using uh, Decodable for? One, of course, which I'm personally interested in is just everything which is related to CDC change data capture and reacting to data changes in a database in real time. So this definitely is a popular with Decodable. And so people then for use this, for instance, to join multiple CDC streams and emit one joint aggregate structure to something like Elasticsearch. Because, you know, what you want to do in Elasticsearch is you don't want to, you want, if you have like a data structure, which is like a purchase order, which is like a hierarchical structure of multiple items, you want to have this in a single document in your search index in Elasticsearch. And using Flink SQL and Decodable, for instance, allows you to join multiple table level CDC streams into a single document. So that's a common use case. Then, of course, just filtering your data. Maybe you have sensitive columns in your database which you don't want to expose to external consumers. So you could mask those values. You could drop those values. Um, maybe you want to establish some sort of data uh, contract where maybe there's like a schema change in your source database and you want to shield your consumers from that. You could use uh, Decodable to kind of establish a data contract which gives a stable interface based on that raw stream. So that's CDC in the widest uh, context. Um, but then, of course, there's many other, let's say, business use cases, something like uh, fraud detection, let's say, right? Maybe you have a stream of transaction data uh, which comes in uh, via uh, Kinesis or, or Kafka. And uh, you look at the location of where did those credit card transactions uh, take place. And maybe... Uh, I see your, your your credit card has been used in Germany. Like the next minute, it has been used in some store in the US. This probably is uh, fishy, right? Uh, so maybe your card has been stolen or it, it, your number uh, got, you know, um, uh, revealed. And we could 
do this kind of pattern matching, this kind of um, analysis on this real-time transaction stream, and then, I don't know, send, for instance, those suspicious transactions to another topic. There could be an application which consumes that. Um, and then, uh, you know, raise an alert or send you in, in, in a text message, uh, something, something like that. So we see that a lot. Um, what else is there? Then I, IoT, I would say, is also a big thing, right? So you have uh, sensor data, I mean, I don't know, temperature measurements, or um, let's say here in Hamburg, where I live in Germany, we have a network of uh, bicycle counting stations. So whenever a cyclist comes by, you will be able to react to this event via MQTT. So you could take that data and, I don't know, visualize it on a map. So you have like a heat map of where are the most cyclists, um, all this kind of stuff. Wow, very interesting, very interesting. Talking a little bit about Divisium, right? So can you provide a brief overview of what change data capture is and how it works? And, and more importantly, why is that an important concept in the whole modern data architecture? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, so what it is, I mean, it's, uh, as I mentioned, uh, it's change data capture CDC, which means it taps into the transaction log of your database and extracts changes from that. So whenever there's an insert or an update or a delete, the CDC process will uh, react to this event, which gets appended to the transaction log in your database, and it will propagate this event to any downstream consumers. Um, so just to take a step back there, all transactional databases, they have what's called the transaction log, like the write-ahead log in Postgres or the bin log in MySQL, the redo log in Oracle. Um, you always have that for, uh, you know, transaction recovery, replication, and so on. And this is the canonical source of changes in a database. So whenever something changes, an event will be appended to the transaction log. And log-based CDC, which is implemented by projects like Debezium, are a very powerful tool to react to those data changes. And there's a few very important characteristics which come with this log-based approach. So for instance, we will never miss an event. Um, also, if you know uh, updates uh, or inserts or maybe an insert and a delete happen in very close uh, proximity, proximity. Because sometimes people think, often people think, well, we also could be implement like a query-based uh, CDC approach, you know, where we go to our database and like every minute, we poll for change data. But then, well, if within one minute something gets inserted and something gets deleted, well, you wouldn't even know about it, right? And you couldn't identify that something gets deleted um, to begin with. Um, and then, of course, you could say, okay, let me poll more often, like every second, but it would create a huge load on your database and you still would be quite sure that you don't miss anything. And all those problems go away with the log-based approach. So that's why I think log-based CDC, that's the way to go. And... Why is it important in data architecture as well? People, of course, have large volumes of data in their, in their databases and they would like to react to it with a low latency. And, um, you know, just to, to give you one very common use case is taking data into a data warehouse, something like Snowflake or Apache Pinot, maybe as a real-time analytics system. Um, so you want to do those analytics queries, um, which you cannot do on your operational database because it's not designed for that. And now, of course... Those analytical queries, they should work on current data, right? You want to run your reports, you want to run your real-time queries um, on, on, on uh, fresh data, not on the data from, from yesterday. And this is why CDC is so important, because it allows you to feed such a system like Snowflake or, um, you know, a, a Pinot or ClickHouse or whatever it is um, with a very, very low latency. So, for instance, I know 
some users in the Debezium community, they go from MySQL to um, Google BigQuery and they have an end-to-end -end latency below two seconds. So within less than two seconds, their data will be updated in BigQuery and they can run very current um, queries there. And people realize that and very often, you know, what I also observed is, um, okay, so maybe users have one particular use case where they feel, okay, we would like to use CDC, we would like to have this low latency. And once they have done it, once they have seen, oh, wow, I can have my data in two seconds in BigQuery, they want to have the same experience for other use cases. And they see, oh, I can also use it for, I know, for, for streaming queries, for building audit logs, all this kind of stuff. And that's why people are excited about it. Right. So is, is change data capture the underlying technology that supports the database replications as well? Um, so I would say... The, the technical foundation is the same, right? Because, I mean, of course, there's different ways how replication works, but um, let's say something like logical replication in Postgres, it's exactly the same mechanism. Whenever something gets appended to the wall, the right the headlock in Postgres, this will be sent over to any replicas. And in that sense, Debezium as a log-based CDC implementation is like just another replication client, only that then, of course, takes the data formats it into like a generic change event format, which is the same pretty much across all the Debezium connectors, and then sends it out to all kinds of systems, right? It could be another database, but it also could be like a microservice or something, Elasticsearch, a cache, and so on. Right. So we're glad you mentioned this, you know, generic uh, change uh, format. Uh, you know, how does Debezium uh, kind of uh, capture data changes from a variety of data systems and you know, each database would have their own different log formats. How, how, how do you manage that? How, and how do you even scale with that? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a challenge. So as you say, those formats and those APIs, how a connector would get data out of Postgres, out of MySQL, out of Oracle, SQL Server, and so on, they are, they are different. And um, until the arrival of powerful open source CDC tools like Debezium, this definitely was a challenge because as a user, you would have to, you know, explore all those ways for ingesting changes. And it really is, is it's not exactly trivial depending on the specific database. So the good thing is now with Debezium, which comes with support for a variety of connectors and databases, you as a user, you don't have to care about it, right? So the Debezium engineering team, uh, they do this sort of um, original research, exploration and engineering and then the goal definitely is to provide one uniform change event. So for you as a user, then it doesn't matter, does this event come from, uh, from, from which database does it come from, right? Is it from Postgres? It's from SQL Server. It, it, it pretty much looks the same. Um, and by the way, the core structure of the events, of course, this resembles your table structure, right? So the schema, the core schema that resembles your, your, the schema of your captured tables. And now what's interesting actually is that uh, Debezium kind of is becoming, and I'm, of course I'm biased, but I would say it's becoming a de facto standard there because what we are seeing is that other uh, companies and other teams which are not even part of uh, the Debezium core project itself, they also use the Debezium change event format and the Debezium connector framework. So for instance, there is ScyllaDB, which is like, a, you know, uh, API-compatible uh, implementation for Cassandra and generally just like a scalable uh, NoSQL store. 
So they implemented their CDC connector for Kafka based on the Debezium framework. So now they also emit the same Debezium change event format. And uh, again, it doesn't matter then, does this event come from uh, SillaDB or does it come from any of the built-in Debezium connectors? It's the same for um, Yugabyte. So they also have their CDC connector based on, on, on Debezium. And just lately, um, and I'm super excited about it actually, Google uh, and, um, contributed their CDC connector for Google Cloud Spanner to the Debezium project itself. So now this is part of Debezium. And again, you get change events out of Spanner in the Debezium format. And, you know, I think this is just super powerful for users because, of, I mean, you always try to converge on a single database, but then it never is going to happen, right? Because you have different teams there, different needs, different requirements. Maybe you do an acquisition, then all odds are off anyways. And you always have the situation where you have multiple databases and having one canonical format that makes tons of sense. Wow, wow. And uh, one one important question that comes into mind is how does Divisium handle schema changes? What happens when the schema of the underlying table itself changes? How does uh, Divisium handle that? Yeah, so the way it is handled is Essentially, all the uh, messages which Debezium emits, they are associated to a, a schema. How this looks like, this depends a little bit on how you have, uh, what kind of um, serialized format you are using uh, for your message. So let's say you are using JSON, you could embed a schema or you could embed the schema into each and every message, which makes those messages self-contained. But of course, also it's very verbose and it's just generally lots of overhead because if you think about it, you don't change the schema of your database tables like every day, right? So this means we will give you tons of messages with the same schema, which doesn't change. So, you know, it's not what I would recommend in production. Definitely people use what's called schema registries. And this means now your messages, they just contain the actual data, of course, and then just a, refer a reference, like an ID to a schema, which is in the registry. Then this could be used with JSON, uh, but also, and I guess more often, this is actually used with Avro or maybe uh, protocol buffers, Google protocol buffers. Now, this means as a consumer, you just go to that registry um, and, and you receive the message. It tells you, okay, this message has a schema one, two, three. So you can go to, to this registry, get the schema one, two, three, and, and I guess you would buffer it locally, of course. And then you can interpret, let's say, this Avro. Um, payload and those message those uh, schema registries they uh, come also with a schema evolution rules so typically if there was a schema change uh, and we would push a new version which let's say isn't backwards compatible maybe we drop a message uh, we drop a column then this new schema version would be rejected um, so that that's one angle using a registry which enforces certain kinds of rules what I also often see, and what I would recommend is, and this comes a little bit back to Decodable and Flink, is to use stream processing to shield your users from certain kinds of changes. So let's say you rename a column. Well, in that case, what you could do is you could use uh, stream processing, or maybe if you are just in Kafka and Kafka Connect, you could use like a message transformation in Kafka Connect. And you could use it to add back that field using its old name. So for some sort of transition period, you would have the same field, you know, using the old and the new name in your messages. And then this would allow consumers to react to that renaming at their own pace. And then you, I guess you would define some sort of SLA where you say after six months or something, you drop then finally the old name until then everybody needs to be uh, migrated. But stream processing would allow you to, you know, do this kind of um, 
handle schema changes in a in a more uh, graceful way. Right, and you know, so so CDC sounds like a bit of a fairy tale as of now. It's like it kind of looks like a perfect system that has low overhead, very less performance bottlenecks. There has to be a catch. So what what are the cases where it doesn't work? Well, I mean, I would be lying if I were saying there uh, is no operational complexity to all of that. I mean, it already starts with the database. You need to configure your database typically in a way, for instance, that the uh, the translate action log is uh, structured in a way uh, we can extract change, changes out of it. Um, you know, so this means you need to, I don't know, reconfigure your RDS database or you, you need to go to your on-prem DBA and tell them, hey, can you change those particular settings in the uh, configuration so our database, for instance, you know, keeps more extensive information in the logs so we can interpret them. So that's the first part. Then, or the, one, one first challenge. Then another challenge is... Um, how do you react in how do you react to failure scenarios and 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 what do you then so let's say you know your connector uh, crashes and um you need to restart it this means now well once you restart this connector of course you want to consume that change feed from the database from the point where you left off before and the way this works in, in Kafka Connect is there's um, offsets which are stored. And, um, you know, if we get restarted, we can go to this offset storage and we will know from where we need to continue to read. But then those offsets, they are stored um, in uh, in intervals in, in, in Kafka Connect. So it doesn't happen like for every record, which means if we crash, we don't get to commit an offset then uh, we would read a few events another time, right? So we would have what's called at least once semantics. Oftentimes people want to have exactly one semantics. You can get this uh, with Flink and Decodable, by the way. Um, but th that definitely is a challenge. Um, and then just to name one very particular example, um, in Postgres, uh, we use what's called a replication slot, to, which is like the logical identifier of this connection. And this keeps track of how far we have read the change stream. And now what, what happens or what can happen is if you don't consume from such a replication slot, the database will not discard any uh, val which comes after the latest offset which has been confirmed for that slot. The reason being, well, if we want to, uh, to continue to read from that replication slot um, at a particular offset, well, the database still needs to have the transaction logs for that um, particular offset. Now, if you have this slot set up, but then you don't consume for it for, uh, from it for one week, let's say, because, I don't know, you, you stopped that connector and you forgot about it. Uh, well, the transaction, the database will then keep, uh, it will retain all those transaction logs. And of course, you know, uh, this can be a, a problem. Uh, you might run out of disk space. So what I'm trying to say is you definitely need to add some sort of monitoring to it. Um, so you are aware of that situation. And that, by the way, again, is the reason why I joined Decodable, because there I feel we can provide such a, uh, an experience for you. So we could make this a part of Decodable and um, give you this sort of alerting function if you say, okay, uh, there's this connection which you configured, but you don't consume it. And now, well, there's a chance that the wall piles up in Postgres. You should do something about it. Right, right. Uh, and now as that we kind of uh, inch closer to the, the end of the episode, one question I have for you is, sure. how do you see the field of data management or stream processing evolving in next few years? I think so. And and what impact do you think this will have on organizations and developers? You know, we have seen a lot of fast moving changes that happened in the modern data stack in 2022. What's going to happen now? What right. do you think is going to happen now? 
So what I'm one of the things I'm definitely excited about is that we are embracing more and more that data gets um, duplicated and uh, denormalized, right? So, I mean, when I started it in my, my career, it always was the expression, okay, this data sits on this database and there should be, it should be highly normalized and there should be no duplication. Um, this is the, uh, the one system of record and this is, if you want to have this data, you need to go to this particular database. And now I feel we are ready more now, more and more to embrace, okay, data needs to live in different systems. It needs to live in our operational system and this uh, real-time analytics store so we can have like a real-time uh, dashboard, uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, maybe we want to push data uh, at the edge. So you, we, have, we have like read models of our data. Um, I don't know, maybe in an embedded SQLite uh, database close to the user so we can uh, satisfy um, read requests with a very low latency because we have already the data in close proximity to the user. Um, and I feel managing all this, that's, that's definitely a challenge, right? So you need to, of course, you need to keep this data in sync. So this is where CDC comes into the picture. This is where stream processing comes into the picture. Uh, but you need to think about, um, I don't know, who's the owner of specific data? Um, who are my consumers? How do they talk to each other? Uh, who do we need to notify if we want to do a schema change? So there's lots of operational management to, to all of that. Mm. And I feel there's a need for like, I don't know, maybe a cohesive platform which provides you with all of that. So I, I think that's definitely a part um, which we are going to see. And then generally speaking, I feel like this trend towards low latency and real-time data, this is just, um, you know, continuing. Um, so I feel people, you know, will move more and more to those kinds of streaming queries. Um, databases will have those CDC capabilities built in. Um, I feel like in a few years it will be really odd if there was a database which wouldn't give you such an interface. Um, so I feel, you know, those trends definitely continue and also speed up. Perfect, perfect. So, gonna thank you so much again for your time on this episode. It was such a pleasure having you on the show and learning all of these amazing concepts from you. So, thank you for giving your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I don't know, if people have questions for me, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm there. Uh, it's my Gona Malik's my handle. Um, and I'm very happy to exchange and learn from you as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gana. 